You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Would you stand with me one final time today as we pray and ask God to speak to us? Um, we are currently in the series Sermon on the Mount. I'm so glad to see all of you back. Last week we talked about some tough subjects. We talked about lust, adultery, and divorce. And so we get to come back this week and talk about loving your enemies. So it's going to be exciting. <laughs> um, it's, I, I love the Word of God. It's powerful. It's true. It cuts us to the core and it challenges us. And I really believe that God has a call for us this morning. So would you join me in prayer as we ask God's presence to be in this room. Lord, your word, it's living, it's true, it's mighty, it's powerful. God, you take it and like a beautiful surgeon, you often you come into our hearts to those areas that want to bring destruction and maim and harm us. And with love and care, you point them out. Lord, we pray that you would do that again today. That, Lord, you would challenge our hearts, that you would call us and help us to be different people who reflect and reveal you to this world, we pray. God, we ask that through your word today, you would bring change to our very heart that you would challenge us and that you would call us to be more like you. In your precious, most holy name we pray, amen. Today we're gonna to be dealing with the call that Jesus presents to us is it's a call to love and to lay down our rights. A call to love and to lay down our rights. This text from Matthew chapter five, uh, verses 38 through 48, it's where we're gonna center our attention today. So if you've got your Bibles, feel free, open them up to there. We're gonna just go all through these verse by verse, really, and, and really see what it's saying. Um, this is one of those sections of Scripture that uh, the rest of the world, uh, most anybody who knows anything about Christianity knows some of these verses. And if you are in Christianity, they're also some of the toughest ones. How many of you know that like, if there was like a, a top 10 list of verses we wish we could just kind of pull out from Scripture, <laughs> one of them would be in here. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. That ain't easy, is it? That's tough. That's, but there's a beauty I think we're going to discover and see there and see why that is so important. And so as we look at this call to love and lay down our rights, I want to start this morning by just talking, and this is a true story, about my very first Sunday as a pastor. Um, my very first Sunday ever as a pastor, I was 21 years old. 
All right, and some of you are looking and going, someone hired that dude at 21. I know, they were insane. <laughs> um, I was 21 years old, and uh, I was a youth pastor in Akron, Ohio. And I want you to think back to your very first day ever on the job. Like, whatever that was for you, go back to that moment. I want you to try to think back to your very, very first day. It's like a mixture of apprehension, a mixture of anxiety, excitement. Like, you, you feel like you're super happy, but you also feel like you're going to puke. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're, it's like that, it's that weird, like, your emotions are everywhere. And I was super pumped. I had big dreams and all this kinds of stuff. Church hasn't even started yet. And the youth ministry that I had kind of walked into was one that there was a lot of issues. Um, I had been a youth leader in it for a while, and uh, the, the previous pastor that admitted, I mean, he, he admitted that he just did not want really to, to do it anymore. He would sometimes be preaching, and he would literally say in the middle of his sermon, Jesus, help me. <laughs> and uh, he would call me on a Saturday night and be like, hey, do you want to preach tomorrow? Because I really don't want to. And so that's, it gave me a lot of opportunities to hop in and do it. But I, I literally, I mean, it, it was a really broken situation. Uh, there was a lot of kids who were coming for the wrong reasons. I watched a drug deal go down in one of our youth services. So there was, there was a lot of things that was jacked up that was happening. And so as I started my very first Sunday now as the pastor, I opened the door and I was getting ready to walk out of my office to head down to the lobby and start greeting people. And when I opened my door, there was a grandmother who was standing there and she had that look. She was not happy to see me, right? You ever like, you know, you haven't even had a conversation with the person, but you can tell by the look that they already don't like you. <laughs> That's where I was at. And the first sentence she utters, this is the first sentence ever uttered to me as a pastor as I'm walking out the door is, I'm told I have to come to you, but I'm not really sure you're mature enough to handle this. <laughs> that was the opening line. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that was the salvo, you know? And I remember in that moment, like, let's be real. In the moments like this, instantly, our walls go up. Like, we get defensive. We are ready to react. Like, she's just standing at that door, and she's just essentially insulted me to my face, and we don't even have a relationship yet. I'll never forget that moment. Walking at the very first thing ever. And this is what I find is that in situations like this, oftentimes what rises up in us is not very good. Whenever we are in situations of offense, our rights have been trampled on. Someone has infringed upon our time or someone is like requesting like money or help of our resources, they're infringing upon what we feel like we've earned. Um, our initial response is anger, indignation. We come to a, a standing of defense of me, my rights, my possessions, my feelings. Not just that, but let's be real. Our culture has told us to fire back, right? Our culture celebrates that. Who gets the last word is the one who wins who yells the loudest, we honor and celebrate those who've got the best comeback. It's like the natural response in us. Like someone injures us or wounds us with their words. It's like our desire is not only do I want to get even, I want to go one more over, don't we? I don't just want to get back at them. I want to put them in their place. 
I want to show them who's really right. Like, there's, that, there's that natural inclination that grows and rises inside of us. It's a defense. And this is what I find is this, is though, this is where Jesus is leading us to today. Because our reaction, it reveals and it speaks about our heart. Our reaction in these situations, it reveals and it speaks about what's going on at the heart level. I want you to notice what Jesus is doing here on the Sermon on the Mount. He is revealing the heart of the law. We talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to reveal it, to explain it, to, to show it to us, and he's been doing that. He's, we get so caught up in like the actions of the do, 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 don't, don't, don't. And we think about that. Jesus is taking us one step further, and he's showing us the heart that's behind the law. We've seen that consistently. We, he, he continually, he'll go to one of the commands, and he goes, okay, you know what this says, but let me really flesh out. My, my watch is talking to me. Um, he, he goes and fleshes out what that command was really, truly about. We've talked about hatred and murder, lust and adultery, divorce, vows, keeping our word. Today, we're looking at these. I want you to read with me again, starting in verse 38. It says this. He says, you've, you've heard the law. Now, notice, Jesus does this a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, hey, you've got a lot of teachers that have waxed eloquently. You've got a lot of people who've come in and they've told you, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. He goes, I want to reveal to you what, you what the truth is. He goes, so you've heard people say this. Let me reveal to you the, real, the reality. You've heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say... Do not resist an evil person, and if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. How many of you wish that verse was out of the Bible? <laughs> I don't know anyone who wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what my goal is for today? I want to be slapped both cheeks. <laughs> To-do list <laughs> by 4 p.m., <laughs> right? If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. I want you to see something. Jesus is doing something. He is changing the question. The question of our culture and I think also the question of our flesh is this. How far can I go? I don't know, but maybe, maybe you're just a perfect little saint. But this is what I know, is that whenever I'm offended, when someone has hurt me, whenever there are situations like this, more often than not, the natural inclination is, how far can I go before it's wrong? How close can I get to that line of getting even, getting back, before I've taken one step too far. Our culture, naturally, we applaud those who get close to that line. Think about social media. So, hop on Hartford City, happenings. Man, alive. <laughs> right? Like, we're like, 
We, we, someone hops in and they say something and it's like, we, we applaud the person who like wounds or maims the most to get even, to pay them back, to get mine, to do what it takes to make it right, to protect what's mine, to get what I deserve, or I need to take from them because they infringed on my rights. See, what happens is this is the question is, how far can I go? But the question of our king and his kingdom is, how deeply can I give? How can I use my life to display the gospel and to reveal the nature, the character, and the love that my king has? Jesus is shifting the question and he's going, you're so focused on getting yours you're missing the opportunity your life has to reveal the king and his kingdom. So we need to understand the cultural backdrop. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We need to look at the origin. This is in the Old Testament. This is part of the Old Testament law that was given. And what had happened is this, and this is what we need to understand. We need to separate the personal from the societal judgment, okay? We need to separate personal from societal. So th- this, this verse is found here, and it's found in the Old Testament, and it was given as a stance of just compensation and also to limit vengeance, okay? This was found here, and it was essentially to give guidance to a judge. Like, so like, let's say I, I, I'm here, and I'm doing my thing, and I, I get angry, and like, I, I'm getting frustrated, and out of nowhere, I get in a fight with Brandon, and I, I take out his eye, okay? That's pretty dramatic, right? First of all, that's a, what kind of a cheap shot is that? <laughs> you know, you're like, going right for the eye. <laughs> Let's say I do that, okay? What Scripture is saying here, what the law is essentially telling the judge is, when that has happened, it is not okay for Brandon to murder me because he lost an eye. It's talking about just compensation. In other words, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it needs to fit and like the punishment needs to fit the type of offense that it was. It's writing it really from a judicial standpoint to the people of Israel from the judges. But what had happened is, like our beautiful heart's propensities to do, the people, especially the Pharisees, had taken this and and morphed it into an ability to go, well, I'm justified with revenge. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. They hurt me, I hurt them. They do me bad, I do them bad. Eye for, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But the point behind this was truly, it, it, was, it was from a societal judgment, not a personal me and you one-on-one, just compensation. If you lose an eye, you can't just repay it with either a penny or a chicken, right? Like, honestly, like, like if I took out Brandon's eye, like, and, if I, and then like we go to the courts and the judge is like, just give him a penny, Brandon's gonna be like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> we got a problem here. My eye was worth a little bit more than a penny, sir. Just compensation, but it also was limiting vengeance. If you lost your eye, you can't just take their life. It stopped excessive vengeance and unjust punishment. Even early on in nations, this is not a literal eye for an eye. This was a principle that was meant to guide how they administered justice. Let me give you an example of this. So in the Old Testament times, Let's say I owed someone like $10,000, okay? And I have no ability to pay it back. I could sell myself into slavery to a wealthy uncle or someone 
who would pay the penalty that I owed and then I would work for them for a certain period of years. But let's say while I'm working for them, they get mad at me and they take out my eye. In ancient Israel, it would literally say that because of that now, the slave goes completely free. Do you get what's happening? It's showing you just compensation that's taking place from a judicial standpoint, not from an interpersonal standpoint. Now, because of that, we also need to understand what Jesus is not saying, okay? These verses have been taken, and they've been stretched um, in, in different pockets of the world to, to mean like absolutely, there, you can never ever respond, like there, th- there shouldn't be justice, we should just practically be trampled over, like people shouldn't be in the military, you shouldn't be a district attorney or a judge or whatever because like, you know, you just need to completely turn the other cheek. Well, I need you to understand what Jesus is not saying is number one, He is not speaking about government, state, judgment, and action against injustice. Let me prove that to you. Romans chapter 13. Listen to what Paul says. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. All authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what's right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So it's not talking about from a like state or government level. Number two, what Jesus is saying, he is not saying to his followers, you should never join the military, the police force, become judges, district attorneys, etc." How many of you know we need some good Christian district attorneys? We need some good Christian judges. We need people who rightfully divide on a national and even a country standpoint on matters of understanding what true justice really is. We desperately need that, Okay. So he's not talking about that. Nor is Jesus speaking about not protecting the weak or those who are at risk, okay? Um, It's not like you're in, I I used this example for service and my son's no longer in here so I can't use him anymore. But I'll use the story anyways. So I've trained my kids. If you're ever in a store and someone tries to grab you with a very specific response and they all know this, they say, I say, whatever you do, don't scream. I said, because if you're just screaming and crying, everyone thinks you're just misbehaving, right? They're going to be like, oh my gosh, this kid's just being bad. I go, so you scream out loud, as loud as you can, help, help, not my parent, okay? And here's why, because I know my heart. And if I'm in a snore and some dude's got a kid and he's by the hand and he's dragging him towards the exit door and that kid screams, help, help, not my parent, I'm like, angel, take the kids, I might go to jail. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being honest. Like, you know, like, because in that moment, what happens is that there is a part of my psyche and in the psyche of many of that there is weakness that needs to be protected and defended. And let me tell you what, that is also near to the heart of God. This verse is not like tell that little kid that's being drug away, well, turn the other cheek. No, of course not. That is not even remotely what this is about. This is not talking about that even remotely. Okay, give you a couple of examples of this. Again, international justice mission. 
This is a phenomenal organization that is Christ-minded, that works to free people from slavery globally, both from just like work slavery and also sex trafficking. Do you know that 40 million people in the world today are in global slavery? 40 million. Human trafficking generates over $150 billion annually. And one in four victims of forced slave labor, forced slave labor is a child, one in four. Okay, we applaud organizations like that. And the reason for that is because it also has the heart of God. It's the same thing again with my kids. Jesus is not speaking about not protecting the weak or those who are at risk or those who are being marginalized. What Jesus is saying is that to be a follower of Christ, you and I, we have to be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. Who's in control of your life? What is your life really about? And what is it revealing in those moments when your rights come into play? What about the first one, your right to offense? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. The original readers would have known immediately what this was. Um, in their day and time, they're, one of the most offensive things that you could do would be to backhand slap someone on their cheek, okay? It was like a way of saying, like, you are disgusting to me. I'm disgusted with you. Like, it, it was, I want you, like, it would be like, I'm trying to think of a, a more, like, one for art. It'd be almost like spitting in someone's face, okay? It is an intended attempt to disgrace embarrass and to move in a manner with, it's saying, I am intending to offend you. Okay, that's what that was. And so what Jesus is saying is that, like, okay, if you've been slapped with that offense, how do you respond? In his day and time, it was an intended gross insult. How we respond to offense says a lot, doesn't it? Our first response almost always is our sinful nature. It's what our culture applauds. It's, I want to destroy them verbally. Someone offends you, someone hurts your feelings, someone says something to you, we armor up. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are ready to go. It's like, guns loaded, and let's do this. <laughs> you said that against me? <laughs> Just you wait. Like that's, that's the sinful nature that rises up inside of us. How we respond says something. Listen, we applaud the person who has the best comeback, has the last word, who's the loudest. We instantly, in those moments of offense, intend to embarrass them publicly and even bring up their past or something shameful they've done to win the argument. I want you to notice something very carefully with me. Our response to offense is to step in league with the enemy and speak his words over God's image. Almost every person in this room, you've got a wound somewhere from something that someone said to you. And more often than not, I mean, there's people we come across uh, their path that they're just evil people. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they wake up on the wrong side of the bed every morning. Everything they say, everything they do is like just vicious poison. But can I tell you that most of our wounds don't come from them? It comes from the person that we had offended and they went up a notch. 
right? And they spoke, and they spoke evil and pain, and that wound still lingers today. Many of you might have been a wound from your parents. Maybe you had done something, or, and there was that instantaneous gut reaction, right? Oftentimes, we don't even realize how we respond to offense. We just step right into the enemy's plan, and we speak his intention into that person's life. In James chapter 3, he talks about the tongue, and he describes it as like a tiny spark that can set a forest completely on fire. Many times how we respond to offenses, we are burning down people's lives instead of building them up. Are we aiding the mission of the enemy or is our response to offense allowing the gospel to flow from our life? Secondly, what about hanging on to our rights? If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Jesus' second example would have been um, definitely understood in that day and time, though it's a little bit lost on us today. Essentially, he's imagining you saying there's a lawsuit where someone is suing you for your clothing, right? They're like, hey, that suit, I want it. <laughs> for me, it wouldn't be a suit because I, I hate suits. Um, <laughs> they, I'd be like, it's yours. <laughs> you want more? <laughs> um, no, but the truth is this. is He's talking about like the tunic was the outer garment. Um, it was like a change of clothes or a business suit. And he's saying... If this is unlikely this would ever even happen in Jesus' day, and that's the point. The point that Jesus is making is it's not about the clothes, it's about your personal rights. I want you to understand the coat. Read with me from Exodus chapter 22, and it says this. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, don't charge interest as a money lender would. And if you take your neighbor's cloak as security for a loan, you must return it before the sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, this is God speaking, then I will hear, for I am merciful. In their day and time, the coat, that outer garment that Jesus is talking about, it was recognized under Jewish law, not just as that person's property, but as their inalienable right. In other words, you could not sue for it could not be taken. And Jesus is going, give it to them. The thing that is yours, give it to them. See, here's the question I have. We can choose to hang on to our rights or we can be a part of changing a life. We can choose to hang on to our rights or we can choose to be a part of changing a life. What about rights to your time and attention? This one hits home. If there's anything that we value, it's our time, our schedule, our attention. Um, Jesus said, if a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Roman soldiers legally had the right to commandeer a civilian to have them carry their luggage for a prescribed distance. Jesus is going, okay. So this Roman soldier comes to you and he's like, hey, I need you to carry my luggage for a mile. Jesus goes, offer him two. Rights are, if they're, we've gotten to a place in our country where we're more willing to give up our money than our time and attention, right? Someone's like, hey, I really could help 
I could really use your help moving. You're like, I'll pay for the mover. <laughs> don't make me pick up anything. <laughs> I hate cardboard boxes. I'm allergic to them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know, honestly, we're 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 often willing to do anything we can because we don't want like our time and attention. But notice what Jesus is saying. He's talking about our rights to our time and our attention, to your schedule being used. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. And notice who it's to. The Roman soldier was despised by the Jews. They were a symbol of the occupancy of Rome. They were a reminder daily when they saw them, we are enslaved people. We don't have our own government. We don't have our own king. We don't have our own rule. We are under Roman authority. Rights to our time and to our attention. Rights to our money and our possessions. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, we need to clarify this. We need to take that verse in context with all of Scripture. Jesus is not like, hey, someone shows up at your house and they're like, they want 50 grand. Give to them. <laughs> okay? Read Proverbs with me. Proverbs 11 and Proverbs 17 says, There is danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. It's poor judgment to guarantee another person's debt or to put up security for a friend. Jesus is not asking for his disciples to be robbed blind. Okay? Personally, he is not asking you to give to every single person who has ever asked you for money. That is not what is going on here. That's even how we handle it as a church. We have a policy in place for how much we give, how often we give, who we give to, why we give to, so that we can be faithful stewards of the money that's been given to us. Okay? And you should too. But here's what Jesus is doing. He is speaking to your heart and mind. He's going directly at our heart in regards to our finances and our possessions. Jesus is saying, are you stingy? Are you tight-fisted? Are you greedy? Are you uncaring about the needs of others? Are you unwilling to give to the kingdom of God? He's bringing those rights into question. But what Jesus is doing is he's shifting our focus and our perspective from hate to love. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, and in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Our natural desire and reaction is not good. Anyone who insults us, the backhanded slap. Anyone who tramples on our rights, they ask for our cloak. Anyone who infringes on my time asks me to go the extra mile. Anyone who's in need of my help, our natural reaction is hatred, anger, annoyance, and defense. We raise up our walls, we fix our focus, and we're like, nope, not today. And in doing so, our society and our culture applauds us, it agrees with us. But what about spirit-empowered action? How can my actions, my reactions, and my words in this moment greater reveal Jesus? To the person who's infringing my rights, how can it reveal to them? To my children who are watching me react, how can it be revealed to them? But to my heart as well. Christ calls us to love, but I say to you, love your enemies. 
Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Again, our culture responds, anger, hate, revenge, defensive rights, get even, criticize. Jesus goes, love, bless, do good, and pray. That goes against everything we're used to and everything that rises up in me in that moment. I don't know about you, but anytime anyone has ever insulted me, the first thought has never been, you know what, I should pray for them right now. <laughs> Sir, let me bless you. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, like no one's like, here, here's a 20. <laughs> Give me another one. <laughs> like, like that's not the natural reaction. That's the point though. That's, that's what's getting across here is that all four of these things that Jesus is telling us, they are unnatural inclinations of the flesh. They stand out as stark contrast. I want you to think with me just real briefly the power of contrast. Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want you to see this next picture. Stands out, doesn't it? Instantly. You take one look, boom. Out of all the apples, you see one. It stands out. That red pops, it brings your attention immediately to it. It's a picture of contrast. Listen to me, our world is used to nine times out of 10 seeing when someone's rights have been offended, whenever they've been hurt, whenever they've been to see instantaneous lash out and people even applaud. But what happens when the people of God stand up and go, no, 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 not today. The gospel is seen. He stood there that day holding a rock in his hand. Looking out on an angry crowd as they stared at this person that he deemed as a villain. Despised, hated, standing in their midst. They had leveled accusations against him. They were ready to go, ready to put him to death to murder him. And as he stood there holding the coats of everyone else that was gathered, he watched as this man that everyone was hating and despising, as they were throwing rocks at his face, cried out to heaven, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Take my spirit into your hands. And Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, dies. The man holding those coats, the Apostle Paul, I can't help but wonder if that moment didn't stand in stark contrast to his mind that day. I can't help but wonder if as he looked at the crowd and as he saw something happen, he goes, that's not natural. <laughs> What's that about? A few years later, Christ would get hold of his life and change him and everything would be different and he would end up writing a large chunk of the New Testament and he himself would be stoned. And they'd leave him for dead and he'd wake up and he'd go back into the very city he was stoned. I don't know about you, but someone throws a rock at my face, I don't head back to their house. <laughs> I don't know if you know that, but I wouldn't. 
He was beaten with rods. He had rocks thrown at his face. He was whipped more times than we could count. He was shipwrecked. And the gospel flowed through him. And you're here today and you understand what salvation is largely because he wrote the book of Romans. From the pain he endured, he was still willing to live out in regards to love. His life stood as a direct contrast. Jesus says here, I want you to notice something. He says, even the tax collectors love those who love them. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. You want to applaud yourself because you love some people? He's the tax collectors. The tax collectors were the most despised people in their time. The most despised. They were Jews who had become in league with Rome. Rome said, we need this many taxes from the people, so you need to collect it. This is the amount that needs to come to us. Well, they would go then back to the people and they would skim off the top. They'd be like, Rome would say, we need $15. They'd say, we need 20. And that five, right in their pocket. They were despised by the other Jews. And Jesus looks at them and he goes, hey, if the tax collectors can love those who love them, I'm calling you to love those who don't even love you. I'm calling you to stand out in direct contrast. So the question that we get is, well, how, how could Jesus do this? How could he have these words? And the truth is, he lived them out. What about offense? Jesus was struck in the face. The king of kings' beard was pulled out. The one who put stars in place had nails driven through his hands and his feet and a spear wedged into his side. What about his rights? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Or as Philippians chapter 2 says, you must have the same attitude that of Christ Jesus, though he was God. He didn't think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He gave up his rights and he took on the humble position of a slave. What about his time and his tension? Do you, are you aware that almost every single one of Jesus' miracles was an interruption? It wasn't like church started and he's in the synagogue and he's like, all right, this is my time for miracles. I'll form in a straight line. We'll go one, one, one. No, no, it happens in like the most inopportune moments. Jesus is out and he's on his way. There's a girl who's 12 years old who is on death's door knocking. He is on a mission. There's a woman who has had been battling a disease for 12 years who crawls through the crowd, grabs a hold of his gown and is instantly healed. And Jesus turns and goes, who touched me? I don't know if I'm, you, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, are you kidding me? You're worried about who touched you? There's a girl dying. Let's go. He's like, we're in like shoulder to shoulder crowd. Jesus, everyone's touching you. That's a dumb question. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Peter's looking at him going, are you kidding me? I'm touching you right now. <laughs> and Jesus goes, mm, stop. Who touched me? You know why? Though she was physically healed, she was not yet emotionally healed. For 12 years, as she walked anywhere, she had to call out, unclean, unclean, which meant get away from me. Don't dare touch me. If you touch me, you become unclean. And in that moment, she had hid herself in fear, not wanting anyone to know she was in the crowd because she just wanted to get to Jesus. And Jesus finally makes his way to her and he looks at her in the face and he says, my daughter, your faith has made you well. And now she's not just physically healed, she is emotionally touched. Now here's the beauty of this, listen to me. That was an interruption. He's on his way to rescue someone who's about to die. Jesus 
had his time and schedule constantly interrupted. What about his possessions? He freely gave up heaven and splendor. He took on the mantle of flesh and bone. At the cross, his clothes were divided and gambled over as he lay naked, exposed to the world. He gave up the richness of heaven not to be born into a throne of marble, but into a manger of dirt. Disciples of Jesus empty their rights for the sake of the kingdom. This life leaps open the impossible to happen. The Apostle Paul is changed from enemy to champion, and our hearts are shifted. Do you realize the immense tragedy that comes when we turn inwardly and we go, mine, 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 mine? There's a tragedy of living like our culture. Let me tell you about the, the bondage that takes place. We move from freedom of our emotions to being bound by offense and enslaved to hatred. We move from freedom of generosity and kindness to being gripped by selfishness and greed. We move from living a beautiful life of serving and sacrifice to being closed in relationships and we see other people as things to use to get what we want. We go from the beauty of serving others and seeing the kingdom expand to taking our life and letting it be a weapon in the hand of the enemy to maim in both word and deed anyone who's wronged us. We need to uncover the reality that Jesus is saying in this moment. That when we lay down our rights for the sake of the kingdom, the gospel goes out in a beautiful way. I opened the door and she looked me straight in the face. She said, I have to come to you, but I'm not sure you're mature enough to handle this. Fast forward the next three years. That was a 30-minute conversation in my office that took place after that moment where I took everything within me to lay down my rights, to listen carefully, to not armor up, not to project out, and not to punch back. That woman became a dear friend. That woman became one of the greatest defenders of the youth ministry. Let me tell you what, God help you. You talked about Pastor Josh of the youth ministry in church. She would cut you. <laughs> I remember I was out in the lobby one day and someone walked up and they were saying something bad about me in the youth ministry and she beelined from across the room. She got like an inch from their face and she goes, let me tell you about Pastor Josh, right? She got like in their business. She, was, she became one of my biggest, fiercest supporters. Listen to me, that's the thing. When we armor up, we sever relationships. But when we lay down our rights and serve and love and show kindness and grace and allow the gospel to flow from us, impossibility and beauty can take place. I'm not saying you need to do this so that you can win the day. I'm saying you need to do this because it's what the gospel calls us to do. There is something, listen to me, would you just imagine with me right now what this world would look like if the church of Jesus Christ, the people who are called by God to be his children would quit armoring up and in love. If we would serve even those who hate us. 
Will you pray? I don't know about you, but actually I do know about you. You were once an enemy of Jesus. An enemy. I was. I spit in his face. And with my sin, I said, I'm a better God than you are. I will do what I want my own way. And in the midst of me being his enemy, Jesus prayed for me. He went to bat for me. He died for me. He interceded for me. And today, I'm a child of the king because someone laid down their rights. May we do the same. Would you stand with me this morning? going to break the lights down and this is just a moment of reflection between you and Jesus I'm not going to ask anyone to raise a hand I'm not going to ask you to come forward I'm not going to ask any of those things this is this is a one of those moments where I'm asking the, the spirit of God just to speak into our hearts and lives so just bow your heads close your eyes and I want to ask you just a couple questions and I want you to inwardly wrestle today number one Today, are you wrestling with offense? Is there something that has happened in your life that like it has armored you up and there is pain and there's anger there and you just want to unleash poison? Can I plead with you today to take a gospel perspective, to allow your words and your actions to reveal the beauty of God. Maybe it's your desire to hang on to your rights. Maybe it's the desire to hang on to your time and attention. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that like it just feels like an annoyance to you. It just feels like they're sucking up your time and God's just wanting to remind you going, hey, would you, would you just shift your perspective? And instead of seeing the annoyance, will you see my child? that that's my kid that I love. Maybe it's, again, your time and attention. Maybe there's something he's calling you to and it's going to mean laying down some other things so that you can do it. Or maybe it's your rights to your money and your possessions. Maybe God's going directly at your heart and he's asking you, hey, are you tight-fisted? Are you stingy? Are you greedy? Are you uncaring about the needs of others? Or are you unwilling to give to the kingdom? And he's challenging you to lay that down. Today, I pray that we would be a church of contrast. That how we respond to each of these things, that in that moment, it would reveal the beauty of Jesus and his kingdom. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you speak to every heart? Lord, would you bubble down to the very core parts of who we are? And would you bring to the surface, Lord, the area the enemy is wanting to take our life and he's wanting to use us for his bidding rather than for gospel glory. And will you bring that up now? Look at me.
I want to leave you with this question. What if? What if we loved our enemies? What if we did good to those who hated us? What if we blessed those who cursed us? What if we prayed for those who persecuted us? Something tells me that the the church would have a lot more Saul's who became Paul's. And who in your life right now is God calling you to speak to, to reveal to? Who in your life is God saying, hey, use your life as a representation of the gospel so that they can see Jesus? The question really what it comes down to is who do you want to live for? Do we want to live for me or do I want to live for God? Can I tell you something? Listen, I, I, and I think you know this. The more we try to build our own kingdom, <laughs> the more damage we do. But the more we say, God, let me build your kingdom, the more beauty that flows from our life. I pray that we would be a church that when the name Glad Tidings is ever uttered in this city or in this county, that instantly goes, I know someone who goes to that church and they loved me ridiculously. I know someone who goes to that church and it didn't make sense. I had never done a thing for them and yet they loved me. They reached out to me. They put their arms around me. I remember walking through the doors of that church and that felt like I walked into my house, that there was family there. Listen to me, that's my prayer. But that means something. That means that has to be all of us. We gotta be people who are willing to say, God, would you take my life? Would you use it? Lord, I pray for every person in this room today. I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you shape us? Would you mold us? Would you challenge us, convict us, and change us? God, I pray that we would be people who would be willing to lay down our rights for the sake of the gospel. That love would be the thing that flows from us when the natural desire is it to be hate. And that in doing so, Lord, we would see a mighty move of God. We give you thanks. We give you praise in your name. Amen.